This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. Today on Valley Views, we have the pleasure of visiting with folk music icon Tom Rush in town for a concert. Tom has been active since the 60s, is well known for introducing such acts as Joni Mitchell, James Taylor, Jackson Brown. Tom, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Good to be here. And we're going to talk about uh, some of your original music. You've got a brand new album out called Voices, and it gets rave reviews right here at the radio station. Uh, several of our DJs, Paul and Roger, say it's the best thing since uh, sliced bread. So, Well, I think it's my best work. So and, far, so far. The next one will be even better. And it features mostly your own material. That is a curious thing about it. I've, I've always done a mix, you know, not mm-hmm. really a mix, mainly other people's stuff, one or two songs of my own. And for whatever reason, I wrote a bunch of songs. And so this is all my stuff, all my own uh, writing, except for two traditional songs. Mm-hmm. We'll talk a bit more about that. But as we record this, you've just performed a house concert. I hope uh, the Valley is treating you well on your visit. Very well, very well. It was a delightful sh- bunch of people, and they seemed to have a good time, and I did it. I had a good time, so. And Bob brought out quite a crowd last night. He did. Actually, you probably had something to do with that. Just no, your name. No, no, just, no. But Bob. your name. You Bob know. did it all. So in performance, you used uh, three guitars. One looked like it was concert-tuned, and one open-tuned that you... Uh, moved around in some, and a 12-string. What are your go-to open tunings? Well, G, D, and C. Okay. And uh, and drop D. Uh, yes. Yeah, you were doing uh, drop D on the concert tuning uh, on yeah, some of that. Yeah, quite a bit. So uh, it gives uh, gives quite a flavor. Uh, how did you develop your guitar style? Uh, any particular people have influence on that? There was a guy in Cambridge when I was there, uh, during my formative, musically formative years, uh, named Eric von Schmidt. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got me into open tunings. Okay. Uh, Joshua Gone Barbados is one of his turn- tunes Correct. that you've recorded. Correct. Uh, you played several covers last night, including uh, Lyle Lovett, The Austin Lounge Lizards, uh, Urge for Going, uh, one of your early recordings uh, from Joni Mitchell. Uh, how do you choose covers for your shows with so many amazing songs that are out in the universe. <laughs> the selection process is limited by my limitations, <laughs> frankly. But I just, I, I hear a song and I think, oh, I should do that one. And sometimes I'm right and sometimes I'm <laughs> wrong, in which case the song doesn't last long in the repertoire. <laughs> now, an unusual tune last night uh, was the Austin Lounge Lizard's Old Blevins. And under full disclosure, I own the complete catalog of the Austin Lounge Lizards. Uh, I was in Houston for a long time, so they were they were close by. And a quirkier bunch of writing you will not find, which I love. Uh, uh-huh. Recently, I've played uh, Rasputin's HMO, uh, Jesus Loves Me But He Can't Stand You, mm-hmm. and Brain Damage by uh, Pink Floyd, their their cover of that. At the end of it, you, you make a reference to you growing old and you're afraid you'll become old Blevins anywhere that they sell beer is sort of the line in there. And yeah. then you, you have some Bob Dylan references. How did, that, how did you uh, come to that? <clears throat> I changed it around a little bit. I think the, uh, you know, at one point, old Blevins is saying uh, no collusion, yeah. which <laughs> I don't think is That, in that the, wasn't in part the of the original. original yeah. No. Uh-huh. And then the, uh, 
the the one the one verse in the song that didn't and I can't remember what it was the original but it somehow didn't quite resonate with me and so when Dylan got the Nobel <laughs> prize it just uh, popped in that uh, they should have given me, he stole so many songs from me they should have given me the Nobel <laughs> now that's funny so back in the day how did you come to know James Taylor Jackson Brown Joni Mitchell have you introduced some of those artists to uh, the wider public. Uh, that's true. There are three different stories there. I met Joni. I told the story last night at the, in the show, but I met Joni in a coffee house in Detroit where she came in and, and did a guest set so that I would hear, hear her stuff and hopefully record some of it. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, I did. Jackson Brown, I didn't actually meet, but I was recording for Elektra, and Elektra had his publishing. So they were pushing demos on me mm -hmm. and they were you know great songs and I did a couple of them James Taylor I met through my it was funny when I was I was living in Cambridge at one point and I had a roommate named Zach Wiesner who kept saying you got to hear this guy James Taylor he's in this band Flying Machine and mm -hmm. I kept saying Zach clean your room would you <laughs> stop leaving stuff lying around <laughs> so I didn't meet James back then but uh, I did meet him through Paul Rothschild, who was my producer. And I remember we sat on the floor in an empty office in the Columbia complex with a tape recorder and recorded uh, five or six songs that he sang for mm -hmm. me. And then he went to England, and the rest is history. But I recorded his, you know, my recordings came out before his did. Mm-hmm. Now, early on, you recorded uh, Rainy Day Man, I think, from mm -hmm. from him. And then uh, uh, Jamaica Say You Will from Jackson Brown is is, is a such a pretty song. And it's, your, yeah, your version that. is great on that. I love that song. Now, speaking of cover tunes, uh, my my group, uh, Smythe and Taylor, recorded your 99 song, uh, River Song. And we paid the appropriate fees to cover the usage. But my assumption is those funds never find their way to the to the artist it's uh that just uh, seems to be the way it is so uh i've got a copy of that album here and uh that same amount of money that i that we'd like to give to the, you the, just, 80, just, the 83 cents that just, i didn't get just the first give, time get it to you it's uh, uh based on the number of copies we made it's uh, 40 dollars. so it's, you're not going to get rich off of it but uh that's a beautiful song thank you how did that one come about you uh, as i understand it you moved from the uh, the East Coast, uh, the Northeast, where, where you've always been, out to Wyoming. Right. So that must have been culture shock. And the song came out of that? It did. Uh, we were living at one point in a house, a, a cabin that was right on the Snake River. Oh, that's a beautiful area. <laughs> right right by the Tetons. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it, was, it was in Moose, Moose, Wyoming. And I didn't write the song while we were living on the river, but later uh, when we, were, we moved inland. <laughs> The song, the song came together. Uh, let me ask about one of your early songs, uh, No Regrets, uh, which is one of your best-known songs. And the story is that when you first introduced it to audiences, it, it didn't go over that well, and you didn't, re you didn't perform it for a while. Is, is there truth in that? Uh, what, the way I remember it, and I, this is not necessarily the truth, <laughs> but it's what I remember, is that I wrote the song, it was actually made up. I had a girlfriend. I, I'd never had a long-term relationship in this 
girl flew up from New York to Boston, where I was living, and spent the weekend with me. And that was the first time I'd spent that many days in a row with anybody. And uh, she then got on a plane and flew back to New York. And it felt strange walking away by myself. And so I, I, the song came came together from that, but it it sounds like it's the end of a long relationship, whereas mm-hmm. in fact it was the end of a, yeah. a very end of a weekend. nice weekend. <laughs> and then sure enough, we got together and had a long relationship and she left. So it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> but I played the song, I can't remember doing it in public and having the audience not like it, but I played it for Judy Collins, I think before I'd ever played it for anybody. We were having tea in Judy's flat in mm-hmm. New York. And I, you know, very shyly got out my new song and played it for her. And there was a long silence. And she eventually asked me if I'd like some more tea. <laughs> I was I was crushed. And I, so I didn't do the song again for a couple of years. Oh, that's funny. I finally yeah. realized she was just so overwhelmed with emotion yeah, that. that she couldn't speak. So take us back to uh, Boston and Cambridge. My impression is that you were to Cambridge as Dave Van Ronk was to the village in New York. Kind of that elder statesman, even though you weren't old, but uh, you, you kind I, of uh, held I, court. Is, was there any truth to that? No. <laughs> Next question. No, I, I think that, yeah, that, that is way too flattering a comparison for me. I think if there was a, a Dave Van Ronk, it would have been Eric Von Schmidt. Mm-hmm. in Cambridge, who was a little bit older than most of us and had a fabulous uh, knack for finding songs on these scratchy old Library of Congress recordings mm-hmm. uh, and wrote some, wrote some beautiful songs himself and was, was quite a character. But uh, mm-hmm. he was, he was my, my idol for a while, and I think he would have been the, the analog to okay. Dave Van Rock. That sounds fair. Uh, tell us a bit about the clubs, uh, Club 47, Unicorn. And, uh... There were a bunch of, bunch of coffee houses around. There was a very active, uh, folky scene. I remember I got, I got to town, and I, I really liked Josh White a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was told, no, 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 Josh White's commercial. He's, he's slick and commercial. What you want is ethnic. You want you know people that can't read or write and built their own instruments <laughs> and uh, and I you know I went along with that because there was some fabulous music over in that end of the spectrum but I still adore Josh White mm-hmm. partly because he was such a good showman but of the all the coffee houses the Club 47 in my mind and I think in a lot of people's minds was kind of the flagship of the fleet uh, because they were the one the one place that brought in the old timers the legends and um, as I mentioned at the at the gathering last night, you could sit in this little eighty seat room and listen to the Carter family, or mm-hmm. Flat and Scruggs, or Bill Monroe, and Sleepy John Estes, and Book of White, and on and on and on. <clears throat> and there was usually a party after the after the show over at Bob and Betsy Siggins' house, and <laughs> you know the artists would come, and the rest of us would come, and we'd sit around and. Have a little impromptu jam session, and they, mm-hmm. they, you know, whoever the whoever the artist was, the legend would be kind enough to show us how he or she did this or that, and uh, it was it was quite astounding. And I remember thinking at the time, this isn't normal. 
this this can't be normal. <laughs> this is too good. That's a great way to see the uh, legends, uh, most of whom are have passed on long ago by now. So. Yes. Now, it's been suggested that your 68 album, Circle Game, ushered in the singer-songwriter era of those early 70s groups like Joni Mitchell, uh, Jackson Brown, James Taylor, the folks we've talked about. How do you see that transition from folk to singer-songwriters? It had kind of a different moniker, but it was people playing the guitar and writing their own music, so there were similarities. Uh, How did that feel to you? Well, I think... I think the the Circle Game album had the impact that it did because it was introducing those three monstrously talented songwriters mm-hmm. uh, at the same time on the same project, and people took note and said, "Whoa, something's going on here." Mm-hmm. Jackson at that time was not, in fact, a singer songwriter. He was a, he was a writer. He he didn't want to perform. Didn't wasn't in, in, interested in performing. Mm-hmm. That came later, but I think the fact that the three of them were on the same project was what caught you know what caught people's attention. Yeah, that was a that was a well known album for those of us in the uh, learning to play guitar at, at that time. So, uh, Tom, we are running out of time, and we have not run out of questions. Uh, how about coming <laughs> back next week and? And doing another interview, and then maybe at the end of that one, playing a song. How would that be? Sounds good. All right. We've been visiting with uh, folk icon Tom Rush, who's in town for a concert. Uh, We'll have part two next week. My name's Gary, and we'll see you next week on Valley Views. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m., and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM. I'm walking on a rainbow with my feet on solid ground. 